Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the Words, Women, and Wisdom radio show, streaming live from BBS Radio in California and syndicating to over 100 stations globally, including iHeart and iTunes. Today, I am joined by a beautiful guest of mine who I'll formally introduce in just a moment, Phoebe Leona. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes. Well, hello and welcome. Where are you dialing in from today? Today, I am in West Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. Lovely. So this show is broadcasting from California, although I'm actually based in Calgary, Alberta, at the base of the Rocky Mountains. The Words, Women and Wisdom radio show, if you haven't dialed in before, it's a show that is intended to showcase resilience, looking at the lives of women who've risen typically from tragedy to triumph and are now on a journey out in the world doing intriguing work, work that often falls into the category of a social enterprise, um, a mission or an impact based business that is touching lives. And so today I'm delighted to be joined by Phoebe. Now, by way of an introduction, um, her mission is to offer people deeper experiences of themselves. This is going to be such an intriguing show so that they have a greater sense of purpose and belonging in the world. She's done many creative things herself as an international best-selling and award-winning author, contemporary dancer, yoga teacher, obviously entrepreneur and embodiment guide leader, as well as being a TEDx speaker. So we're going to be diving in today to some intriguing topics. She's the founder of the Nomad Collective and founder of Tribe Military Yoga. Interesting. She teaches people how to live their lives with empathy and heart-centered guides, how to step into their power. And as a speaker, dancer, and teacher, she's also uh, performed the new, um, the Times Square New Year's Eve celebration, and also delivered talks to a number of people. Obviously, we don't know who sees TED Talks. So her, her podcast, The Nomads Space in Between is uh, something that she airs regularly and also her most recent book, Dear Radiant One, an emotional recovery story and transformational guide to embody the dance of life. So here we are, two coaches, although you're doing your work in a variety of different formats to mine. So I love interviewing and sharing the stories of women who have risen through tragedy and triumph, although we do have something in common. You also had a father who suffered from severe PTSD. So why don't you share with me how this journey that you're on right now got started? And I imagine that as my dad impacted significantly my life and how I turned uh, to becoming an author later on in life. What was your story? Where did that get started? Well, first of all, thank you so much for that introduction, Yvonne. And it's, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, Yeah. I think the best place to start is somewhat at the beginning of my life. You know, my father was a Vietnam vet. He was my primary caregiver from eight to 15. I lived with him And he was a very loving, a very charming man, Uh, but he also had this this disease of PTS. At the time, he came back from Vietnam. He had all of the symptoms that, you know, that classify somebody with PTSD. Uh, He had flashbacks. He had rage. He had um, very violent behavior. He had drug addiction. 
Um, he had depression and he had multiple suicide attempts. Mm. And I was a witness to all of these. And at that time, I was also very, I think most children are very intuitive and very empathetic. And so at that time, I would feel these energies as when things would shift, right? Like you, you know, these feel these, these moments where just things would change on a dime and you wouldn't quite know why everything was beautiful and fun. And then all of a sudden he would get triggered and he would go down this rabbit hole and he would take everybody in that moment with him. Mm -hmm. But the thing was, was that I was very in tune with energy and I would actually feel this moment just before it happened. Like I could pick up on that trigger. And so there was a part of me that felt like I am doing this. I'm creating this in my mind. And there was a time specifically, I remember when my parents got separated and I was living with him and I was very angry at my mom for leaving us. And she came to visit and I really didn't want to see her. And I actually ignored the phone calls and I just pretended that she wasn't going to come. And then her arrival triggered him and he went into a flashback and he, he violently, you know, closed her out. And we went on this whole race. Like he threw me into the car. We on this like car, car race, you know, he was trying to escape and bringing me with. And so, um, but I felt that energy and I thought, oh, I was angry at my mom and I created this scene. So it was very confusing as a child to, to witness his own PTS, but then it really caused my own traumatic events and experiences. So the beautiful thing out of all of this was that I also had this gift of dance. I absolutely loved dancing. It was what brought me joy. It was what I felt brought other people joy, whether they liked it or not. <laughs> I would put on shows with, for, for my friends and for my family. And it was something that really just gave me this opportunity to move energy through me. So when I did witness these moments where he was very angry and those energy shifted to very scary scenarios, I would go into my room, I would close the door, I would turn the music on and I would let my body move those energies to, so that I could be in a place of joy again, in a place of calm and stillness an acceptance of what was. And how old were you when this started, the dancing? Oh, I mean, my mom joked that I was dancing before I walked because I would be jumping in the jolly jumper. <laughs> but, you know, this idea of it really being my therapy, probably, yeah, when my parents got divorced, uh, maybe a little bit before, I'm not quite sure, but seven, eight. And it was something that was with me and it was you know, my calling in life, I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a professional dancer. I mean, I just saw it as my career path. And so I took that path to fast forward into my adult life. I became a dancer in New York city. That's where I danced on time in times square. As you mentioned in the intro, I got to dance in times square and perform right at the millennial. Uh, and it was absolutely one of my favorite moments of being a performer um, but then as I was going on that journey of performing, I also found my way to the yoga mat right. as a healing modality, not right. just at first it was for my physical, my physical healing from injuries of dancing. But then I realized, oh, all these layers of, of shedding the emotional trauma that I had that I hadn't really dealt with because my father did disappear at 15. Uh, when I was 15, I left, I left my home. 
And I went on, you know, my own kind of just living a teenage life, which was weird enough. (laughs) And so I went and I lived with my grandmother and then my mother for a period of time. So we were estranged. My father and I were estranged for most of my teenage years and adult life. And so when in his disappearance, yoga was my therapy and I started to unpack things on my own. And in 2009, when I was early thirties, he showed up on father's day and he was rehabilitated as much as he could be. He had Mm -hmm. found his way to the VA, which led him to getting um, sober. So he had been sober for a number of years. He had been um, diagnosed as hundred percent mentally disabled. So he didn't have to work and he was taken care of, but he, you know, he was leading a very humble life at that time, but he also had a lot of boundaries in how he could maintain his mental, you know, mental wellness. Mm -hmm. So that held another whole layer of healing for both of us to come back together and kind of put some dots together and connect them because we didn't really still have that terminology of PTSD when I was a child. And so when he got diagnosed and he came back and he was filling me and I was like, ah, these were flashbacks. Okay. Now we understand because we just thought my father was crazy and had a drug addiction, Mm. but now we were connecting these dots and it really helped a lot, both for himself and for me. And in 2013, he passed away in his sleep. He died peacefully which um, I'm so grateful for. I mean, I'm, I'm so sad that he passed, but I'm so grateful that he had those years of peace and he was able to die in peace because he lived in hell for so many years. Mm. So that just began a whole healing journey for the last 10 years, but I'll, I'll pause there for a moment because <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot to dig into. It, it's so interesting because, um, you know, my, as I said, my dad came back from World War II. He got a yeah. bullet, grazed him in Dunkirk and uh, PTSD just was not treated. I mean, hundreds yeah. of thousands of men came back. They weren't treated. And he just showed up in my life as a youngster being a very angry man, like yeah. angry, critical, nothing you did pleased him. I have very, a few very rare moments where I remember being in a park with him about you know three kicking a ball around and laughing um mm-hmm. but there's not very many of those moments mm-hmm. um most of them unfortunately come back as you know being criticized or um you know the, the the leather belt slapping my behind um doing something wrong having my head cracked against the windows you know windowsill yeah. um because he was just reacting and yeah. you know, it's an it is it's an illness um yeah. So unfortunately, um, you know, we reached a point where I was 16 and you know, he didn't like me in the house. He didn't like me under his feet, uh, you know, as girls do, you know, painting your toenails, whatever you're doing, um, and didn't like it when I was out gallivanting around. Um, and it was like, well, there's no pleasing you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there just isn't. Um, and uh, he ended up... Um, kicking me out and then uh subsequently then within six months he'd left my mom and chosen to live on his own um and ended up committing suicide at eight in his early 80s uh living alone not having any friends left anymore and um two people showed up at his funeral and that was my sister and her husband because my mom passed away by that time so it, it is a very uh crazy illness and 
when it's not understood, unfortunately, it does push a lot of people away. I don't think he ever was, I don't think I ever saw him drinking. Um, but there was probably some things that he was doing because he spent a lot of time alone in his like, studio and yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't let anybody in. So yeah. interesting. So these things shape us, don't they? <laughs> they do. Yeah. yeah. So for me, dance was not my passion, even though they pushed me into uh, trying to do tap dancing, trying to do <laughs> ballet. Um, it just was not my thing. I'm just not, you know, I, I'm a free dancer, but I'm not coordinated, you know, jazzercise or any other formal dance. Um, I have a hard time with that. So I'm glad that you found a passion that started your own healing. And this is why today we're calling this show Reimagine Embodied Leadership, because mm -hmm. since that time, you've done so much of the deeper work yourself in your own experiences through your own healing that you've then started your own company and developed these practices to help other people on their own journey of transformation, particularly through the somatic healing realm, through a greater awareness of their own body. So tell me a little bit more about why it's called the no, uh, nomad, the space in between. What was mm -hmm. that? Yeah. How did that get started? Yeah. Well, it, kind of picks up where I, where I ended in 2013, when my father passed away at that time, I was also married and I had been married or in this relationship for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And my father passed in January and my air marriage ended very unexpectedly uh, to my, to my surprise, two months later, hmm. but really in retrospect, it was coming for a long time. And he was another beautiful man, but he was also dealing with his own PTS that was undiagnosed. And he made a lot of choices um, that isolated him. And he recognized that I had chosen him, like, you know, a lot of us do, we find, we marry our daddy <laughs> in various ways. <laughs> so, you know, we had to part. He saw that it was a journey that I needed to take alone. And he also needed to go on his own journey. And that's the rest of his story that I will, uh, won't divulge into. Um, so when I was in this, my own, what I call the space in between the liminal space of what that old life was and what I wanted to create, it was really the first time that I saw for myself that it was making choices for purely me. Mm. And I sat there and I said, you know, I, I know I'm so loved. I know that I have a family. I still have my mother, my maternal side of my family, uh, but I didn't feel like I quite belonged in the world. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, I put so much energy into the, these other people. And so this idea of nomad that you brought into is my company that I started within out of this tragedy was I wanted to create one, something that gave me purpose. Yeah. So I needed to do the things that I enjoyed. So I still loved, absolutely loved teaching. Mm -hmm. Yoga was my modality at the time. It's transformed into deeper somatic practices that I've developed. And I wanted to continue to travel. So I built a retreat-based business. And in that space of feeling lonely and feeling confused and that, that space in between, I said, I want to use that as a, as a space for other people who mm -hmm. might be making transitions in their life. Maybe it is that they lost their job or they're making the leap to leave their job, 
or leaving a, you know, an unhealthy marriage or a relationship, or really just for the first time making choices purely for them. So having this beautiful container of a retreat where they could go through their own transformation and feel realigned with their purpose and their belonging and give them these tools to take out into the world. So it started with retreats, then it turned into trainings, um, yoga teacher trainings, my somatic modality, movement 109, and various other things. Nomad, I like to say, has a mind of its own. So I just kind of follow the breadcrumbs (laughs) with that. So that's kind of what I've been doing the last 10 years, parallel to my own healing journey. And the deeper that I go into my healing journey, the depth of nomad is there. Like there's so many other pieces. The podcast came through of the space in between the modality of movement. 109 came through this recent project of embodied leadership came through recently because what I was witnessing, um, well, you spoke really beautifully to it when you were sharing your story of your father was he reacted, right? He reacted to his own trauma and put it on you. And I was seeing, especially with the pandemic, that we were all going through some layer of trauma, whether you admit it or not, that was a traumatic event. Everything that felt safe and predictable was no longer there. And so we all collectively went through some sort of layer of trauma. And what I was seeing was that there was these, these splits, right? We had to choose sides in so many different conversations Mm -hmm. and you all know the conversation, so I don't have to label them, but what we were doing was we were reacting And that's what we do in trauma is we react and we lash out at people that we love and we actually care for, but we do it in a way of protecting our own survival. Right. So I was seeing this on a great scale, you know, the leadership in the world was happening on this level, but also on micro levels in our local communities and how we were interacting and media and social media. And I was like, okay, we are disembodied. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah. We are disembodied. We are all reacting from a survival place. And if we're really going to go through this paradigm shift, because I really do think that the pandemic as, as it was our own collective tragedy, there is triumph for us to claim Mm -hmm. through it right now and through the other side. But what, if we're going to really claim that triumph, we have this big paradigm shift. We have to become more embodied. We have to take radical responsibility of who we are right now, accept the past of all the choices we might have made to bring us to that moment, envision what we want to create and really hold ourselves accountable every step and be embodied, not act from this place of reacting or choosing sides and aligning with this or that, but fully feel in our body who we are, what we want to create, have a place that feels safe first for ourselves so that we can welcome people into that space and anybody other is anybody Mm -hmm. outside of yourself, not just pointing a finger and saying, you're not in my tribe, right? Everybody is, it's a collective experience we're experiencing. Right. So for your, uh, your current event, um, the embodied, uh, reimagine embodied leadership, um, I tend to think of leadership as um, I'm drawing on my corporate world, right? 20 years of senior HR roles, working in uh, four different countries, nine startups, uh, eight eight startups plus mine. Um, 
and looking at leadership from the corporate lens. Mm-hmm. You're looking at it, I believe, from the personal leadership standpoint, whether that is an official title of you know, director, leader, et cetera, in a corporate role, um, taking on you know, that professional lens, or whether it's from an entrepreneurial perspective, how do you lead by embodying who you are, what you take a stand for, and doing it from that lens? Is that true? Am I looking yeah, at- yes, absolutely. And and honestly, it's both. It's a Venn diagram. Okay. <laughs> it's for, for you to be in corporate, for I work a lot with the military as well. For, right. for military leaders, corporate leaders, political leaders, anybody, we have to take responsibility to be the leader of our own selves, our own lives first, if we are going to take the next step forward and have people follow us. Right. right. So tell me about the, the tribe military yoga. That's yeah. something that you're a co-founder for. Is yeah. that also connected back to the reason that your father had PTSD? Yes, accidentally. Okay. <laughs> so I was leading yoga teacher trainings. Um, I've, I'm an experienced yoga trainer. So I was leading 300 hour yoga teacher trainings, which is like getting your master's in yoga, mm-hmm. essentially. And I had my, one of my groups, there was a major who was at West Point and she was very impressed with the program. And she said, we need to bring this to the cadets at West Point. And she was the officer in charge of the cadet yoga club then. So she brought me in the next semester and I led a 200 hour, which is like the basic training for, for yoga teachers. And so I came into that space it was just an invitation. I didn't seek it out. But when I landed there, I went landed at West Point and I was listening to the cadets and what they were going through. And I also had two veterans who um, came into the training as well. And I was listening to them and I was saying, wow, this is an invitation that I have to lean into even more in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Because what if what we're doing right now was the bigger what if? We're giving these tools of the yoga practice to ground and center and feel safe in their, in their bodies, in their environment, so that when they go into those scenarios that are scary, that you are in your fight and flight and freeze, right? And our sympathetic nervous system, yeah. and they can be on the other side of that. If they do have a traumatic event, they have these tools on the other side of it. What is going to be different about that scenario? What's the wave of change that's going to change the military culture, which will actually be the waves out into the collective in a lot of ways, right? Because you and I, we weren't in the military, but we received that trauma through our parents who did go through it. So it will not just be literally military community. It'll ripple out in so many different ways. So as I sat through this, this opportunity to teach these cadets and these two veterans, I knew that there was something bigger that needed to happen. And so when we finished the two veterans, Jessica and Amy, and one of the cadets, we all came together and we said, we all knew it. We kind of looked at each other and said, okay, there's something bigger that's happening here. Mm -hmm. And we decided to form a nonprofit. And so it went out beyond teaching the cadets and the veterans that were based around West Point. We went to different branches beyond the the army. So we just finished our sixth yoga teacher training as a tribe yoga teacher training. And we have now army and Navy and Marines. And it is, it's just, I see the waves, the waves of change that are happening. We're having, hearing people 
you know, report back on how, what, what's changing in when they're implementing these practices into their PT programs. Cause that's one of the duties that officers from the um, West point go on. They are officers and they implement physical training. So they're implementing yoga into the physical training. They're embedding it in there. And what we were also recognizing when we're building the curriculum specifically to the military was that they already have these practices. They have mm -hmm. cadence, which is mantra. They have um, target practice, which is one point focus. It's concentration meditation. They have visualizations of their missions. We have visualizations in meditation. Yeah. So they already have these. So we're just turning the lights on to you can use these tools. Yes, to be a warrior, but you can also use these tools to be a peaceful warrior mm -hmm. at home mm -hmm. and regulate your nervous system and be in that more um, reflective and responsive state rather than reactionary. Yeah. It's, it's, um, that's, I believe that's the ultimate is having the training to know how to step into action, whether that's for you know self-defense or whatever it might be, especially for women, because my primary audience is working with women. Yeah. Um, but also knowing when to not have to use them. Um, so as the embodied leader, I think the energy comes across differently and it's more, more of that don't even mess with me, me energy. Um, and then also having that ability to choose how to respond versus react and actually talk about this, uh, sorry, this side, talk about this in my, um, my best-selling book, Words, Women and Wisdom, The Modern Art of Confident Conversations about that the difference between reacting and responding, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but having the tools to be able to do that and self-regulate, really, really important work that you're doing there. So congratulations on that. What um, do you think would be one story that has come out of that that would showcase the impact and the power of it? Is there a particular mm -hmm. story that springs to mind? You don't have to name names, but. A story of mine? Um, from the work that you're doing, the yeah. impact that it's actually had in yeah. one particular story, maybe? Yeah, I definitely I want to share a story. But I also, when you were just speaking into the reaction and the response, I, I want to share a tool that's really helpful for people, if you oh. don't mind. Absolutely. It's, it, so when we, when we feel triggered, when we go, want to go into that reactionary state, that might be anger, that might be sadness, whatever it is that feels uncomfortable. What happens is when we go into the sympathetic nervous system, that's the fight, flight, or freeze, our body releases chemicals so that we can react. Yeah. Now, what happens, which is really interesting is if we hold that, if we know that we're safe and we hold that for 90 seconds and we breathe with it. And we let the chemicals do whatever they need to do, because if you are physically safe and you don't necessarily need to react, the chemicals will, will go through the body and will have that physical experience. But then after that, what happens is there is a mental loop that picks it up. So we actually have a choice in those 90 seconds to stay in that moment of fight or flight and keep us in the loop or we can recognize it and move on. And that's that pause that goes from reaction to response. Yeah. So if anybody out there feels that has been there, just hold on, breathe for 90 seconds and see what shifts. Yeah, it sounds so simple. And yet it it's, it's so powerful. Um, in, uh, in my book, I reference the, um, 
the work of Amy, uh, Amy Cuddy um, and her power pose. So she, you know, very often when we're talking about, you know, women asking for what they want and getting it, a lot of it is about how do they articulate their value, whether that's through work, through their own business. And in this instance, it was looking at, you know, what happens when you show, when you go for an interview. I mean, most people don't like yeah. job interviews. That's one of yeah. the most stressful situations. And having been on the other side of the desk, you know, interviewing and hiring about 6,000 people, I get it. I know why people are nervous about it because there's usually a lot riding on it. But yeah. her, um, her work, um, Amy Cuddy, is about, uh, there's a beautiful TED talk um, to look at, um, is about going into this, this power pose. So you're, you're literally... Um, you know, standing like Wonder Woman yes. <laughs> in, in the bathroom, right? Yes. I go in the bathroom and do this, um, you know, for two to three minutes before you step into the interview room. Um, yeah. The impact and the difference in how your body will feel, how much calmer you will feel with the impact uh, made on cortisol is, is life-changing. It yeah. really is. So when you show up and you're not, talking so fast and for women talking in a high-pitched voice because you're so nervous yeah. um, you can talk you know to your accomplishments with depth right there's a reason that newscasters are very often selected for the depth of their tone mm -hmm. because it sounds more grounded it sounds more real it sounds like truth whereas if you're talking like it sounds like Mickey Mouse <laughs> um, it's not as credible yeah. right yeah um, yeah and so when you're in, obviously, in a job interview situation, you want to put your best foot forward. So, yes, there's some tips on how to dress to show up for it. Um, but also, you know, how do you have that that um, that different embodiment of your yeah. energy? Because, again, people feel it. It's kind of like the wet, fishy handshake. You put your hand out and people go, ooh. <laughs> that was yeah. really cool. um, I was actually just watching... Uh, Another lady uh, who's here in Calgary, um, I'm going to probably um, pronounce her name wrong, Tina Voggies, I think is how you pronounce it, um, talking um, on a, it was a, a stage talk that she did, um, and I was watching it just yesterday, and, and she was talking about the handshake, and did an mm. exercise where she uh, had a sort of a, a limp handshake, and yeah. even before she had said a word, you know, she shook someone's hand and they made a judgment based on how firm or lack of was the handshake and then went back and did it again after doing the, the weaker handshake. And the difference was huge, huge. Yeah. So, you know, even though we are living in a more global world now, COVID has you know, sort of leveled that playing field with so much work being done via Zoom or across borders, we, we, do I think need to still respect and recognize that diversity exists, different cultures handle things in different ways, yes. just because you know people very often from the Asian content continents, you know, have a downward gaze, um, yeah. have a you know a handshake where they don't they don't have a firm handshake because yeah. they don't want to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, and they and they usually bow, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this this awareness, I think this gift. I'm going to call it a gift of COVID was really an opportunity to shake everybody up and really bring us back to center and asking, you know, what's really important in life. Yes, we've got, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've got the safety factors at the bottom, food, shelter, clothing, 
And then what else is layered on top of that? And obviously when you're working um, at that, um, you know, the top of the triangle, the, the attainment piece is all about working for the greater good. We get far more benefit, far more reward, as you know, Viktor Frankl shared in his work too, from the, the, the time he spent in the concentration camp and, and then writing Man's Search for Meaning. Um, you know, he realized that we can do great things, but when we're doing something that is greater than just ourselves, mm-hmm. that's when we really feel that sense of purpose. We can really embody leadership in a whole new way. Absolutely. What was your topic talked about when you did your TED talk? My TED talk was my story of what I what I shared at the beginning. You know, um, it's called "Life Is a Divine Dance," and it was funny because I was invited to I was invited to speak at this TED talk, this TEDx, in my local community in the Hudson Valley, and everyone, you know. I, a lot of people knew who I was in my local community and said, you have a story to tell. And I thought, really, I do. And I didn't realize that the invitation, like the big invitation that this TEDx was. And then I started to really clue in to, okay, this is a great opportunity to hear my voice and, and to speak, but that freaked me out, <laughs> to be honest. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on stage and people are going to hear my voice, even though I had been on stages with thousands of people uh, as a dancer, even though I had been teaching yoga and teaching mm-hmm. and using my voice in huge classes in New York City for years. But there was something about this that really made me feel nervous. And I think it was because I needed, it was me. It wasn't me as an abstract, you know, emoting emotions uh, on stage through somebody else's movement or telling people what to do with their bodies. This was me sharing my very vulnerable story. And so I actually kind of freaked out about it. And I said, well, what's going to make me feel safe? Ah, I'm going to dance. So my Mm -hmm. TEDx is actually me speaking and dancing my story and sharing about how life is a divine dance, how there are no roles to to play except your own. And so when we make that choice, when we have these moments where you bring the other people's voices in so beautifully here about their tragedy stories, we can see those as invitations, Right. right? They don't have to they don't have to keep us held down and held back from who we need to be. They're actually invitations to fully embrace mm. our purpose and fully embrace who we are. And so in Eastern philosophy, we have this um, these two terms that people might have heard in the Western world of, of our karma. And it's kind of a little different in the Eastern world of what it actually is, but they're really just lessons and obstacles that our soul chose to live out in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so our, our karma, those moments of tragedy are lessons for us to embrace what we call our Dharma, our purpose. Right. And so when we see those moments as our purpose, we can really lean into them and fully embrace them and, and become who we are meant to be. So that's what the TEDx ended up being about was my story and relating that message. Mm-hmm. And yes, I have one of my dearest friends, Dante Paleo, who's the artistic director of Limon in New York City, which is a very big dance company. He was one of my co my partner uh, that that executed that TEDx with me. Yeah, I actually do remember now first time when we connected months ago actually looking at the TEDx talk and I've, I've looked at so many talks um, 
over, you know, even in the four months this year, um, you know, even amidst moving house and getting resettled, um, that I had forgotten for a minute. But yes, it was a beautiful, well choreographed story and certainly would have been because it is so personal. Um, and not only are you speaking it, but you're showcasing it. Um, a very deeply touching activity. I can see where that would be for you. Um, yeah. Talked a little bit also about something that that reminded me. Um, one of the uh, talks that I did before COVID, which was uh, with um, Fearless, Fearless Women's Conference. It was a mm -hmm. 500 group um, event up in Edmonton. Um, and I was working with my uh, speaker coach at the time and we, we talked about the elements of, of acknowledging that what I had done, so as a result of, of um, the PTSD experience I had with my father, um, when I was age 11, he had opened the envelope for my exam results. These are the important exam results they called the 11 plus at the time, they don't do it now either to determine if you're going to grammar school with a smart kids go or secondary school with a not so smart kids go. My sister, um, who's a complete opposite of my personality, <laughs> was not the adventurous crazy soul I am, um, had already gotten um, to, to be in grammar school. She's three years older than me. And he opens up the envelope. Um, his eyes go black. His face is beet red and he's staring at the results. And then he yells at me, you failed you will never ever be successful in life. And he rips it up and walks out. And I mean, I'm stunned, right? First of all, I was, I was sure I had passed, barely, but I thought I had. And, and just his reaction to it, I'd already watched my mom literally having the, the dignity drained out of her by him. I mean, she was a professional uh, businesswoman when they met. Uh, married late in life and then as she became the stay-at-home mom without her own income um, taught him to drive the car he took the car keys wouldn't let her drive the car um, mm -hmm. she literally lost her power and she ended up losing her voice um, in the relationship because of how she was treated and so much criticism and then that ended up happening to me too in high school people thought I was a bit snooty because I wasn't talking very much and mm -hmm. it wasn't that it was I didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> I didn't want to be criticized for being wrong. So I would prefer to just not talk um, and not say anything, which was wildly different than my adventurous, you know, swinging on the highest tree I could, could, mm -hmm. could get to in my earlier years. Um, so I put up the shield to protect myself from the emotion that was welling up and from being hurt by him and then realized that, about age 45 I was still carrying that shield not yeah. only was it keeping some people out but it was also keeping me small behind yeah. and it was time to come out and play bigger um so yeah. we have these responses to trauma and sometimes we don't even realize until we start really deeping diving deeply into our own um story what yeah. the impact of that is and as you know you know when you're on stage, whatever that might be, speaking, dancing, to you know, the instructor, etc. Um, having that clean energy and really stepping into, I've done my own work. I'm in that place. It makes a difference, doesn't it? It really does. And you know, for so I just want to acknowledge you for that journey of yours. And 
I truly hope that you reconnected with her, you know, that, that beautiful free spirit that's swinging. I hope that you found her again and made friends with her again. And, mm. you know, well, part, I think part of that was through, was through writing the book. I mean, it was, yeah. it was very cathartic, um, yeah. 40 different words and word concepts in yeah. uh, words, women and wisdom, the modern art of confident conversations. That's what I called it. Um, and, and dedicated it to my mom, who I consider my mm. first unmentor, showing me yeah. what not to do. Um, yeah. it, was, it was very healing. I never had writer's block, you know, getting up at five in the morning, doing my gratitudes, my visualization, my morning yeah. ritual, and then writing for an hour. It was, yeah, it was a download, much as you described, um, you know, leaning into what's presenting and yeah. I think that there's an important lesson there for any of the women who are listening to the show today in particular about, you know, this, you know, we can carry this energy of striving and pushing and trying to make things happen. And yet I think COVID also showed us that there's a better way that when we actually invest the time in connecting with people in a different way and building those relationships that's what's going to help us, you know, go farther versus, you know, go fast alone, go farther with others. Yeah. Um, and it really put the, the spotlight on how can we do our business differently in a yeah. way that isn't feeling like we're pushing water uphill and responding through being very aware of how our bodies are reacting and showcasing different emotions when different situations show up which is the one, the one next step that is in most alignment with who we are and our gifts and our, our passions and ultimately our purpose. When we feel, we feel it. I had that experience, you know, even uh, as recently as in late December, I, I said to my husband, you know, we had six people pass away in our lives last year. <laughs> Something's got to change in 2023. Yeah. Obviously we can't control what's happening with, people that are older than us or have uh, health issues that ultimately passed away. Um, however, you know, we can elevate the quality of our life because it really put the spotlight on what, you know, what are we doing and how are we doing it? How are we spending our time, our resources, finances, people that we're spending time with and really choosing to make every moment count and do something different in 2023, which was ultimately what caused the house move. It's like, okay, we don't need all this. We don't need all this stuff. We're not significantly downsizing, but we're moving somewhere where it's lighter, brighter, um, less time spent on things that we really don't consider to be valuable. So, yeah, I would love to touch in on something that you you spoke about through your journey and in witnessing your mom and losing her voice because I've also I've also witnessed this in my lineage on my maternal side too in various ways. And I see this collectively is that I think that a lot of women in your mom's generation did lose their voice. And there was this big pendulum swing for women's empowerment, mm -hmm. it, but it went to this place where we had to really like use our masculine energy yeah. and really come into what you were speaking into of like being more of that go-getter and the proving ourselves and what I think is happening, and I think what you you're, you were saying is that the pandemic was actually this pendulum shift, not all the way to the other direction, but somewhere in the middle, finding our center of, 
actually, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't want to work from that place because that's working from the wounded masculine. We right. were reacting to the wounded masculine of our, you and I personally, of our father's wounded masculine, and we were responding to or reacting to that. And now collectively, we're all finding what is more divine, divine feminine and divine masculine energy so that we can really work from that place of what you just spoke into of like deep connection, finding a new way of working together, co-creating together and not working from our wounds. And that's a lot of the work that I do is identifying what those wounds are, allowing them the space to be seen and heard and felt because a lot of us don't allow that because we have to just, I mean, how many times did I hear like, put up your big girl pants and just go ahead and, you know, do it. Like my family would say that to me all the time. And I was like, well, I want to cry right now. Like I want to honor where I'm at right now. Okay. I want to give myself permission to feel these energies. And so if we give that space, not to like wallow in it, but just so that we can move that energy and move on and say, okay, this is now, this is not what I'm going to operate on anymore. And let, I'm going to make a new choice for myself and the future generations. And so you're doing that right now through your work, your book and this podcast. And that's what the TEDx was for me too, is this invitation of holding space with the podcast of other people going through their own journeys of transformation. And the more that you and I can hold those spaces for people and other people out in the world, holding those spaces, we can see each other uh, and recognize each other and, and say, it's okay. You belong here. Your journey was exactly what it needed to be, but we can change it now. Yeah, we can change it because awareness, of course, is first point of change, right? When we're unconscious to it, we don't even realize that it's an important thing to change. And as you were speaking for a moment there, um, you know, that whole sort of somatic awareness piece, um, I remember going to my Reiki master for a healing session, <clears throat> excuse me, and she was at the end, she was talking about uh, having a class coming up on the weekend, um, Reiki level one. And what that was about and my hands literally started vibrating I was like I think I'm supposed to be there yes they were like yes we love Reiki we want yes. that uh, so that was that was the um you know that was one of the one of the um the next evolutions of you know self-awareness etc and um, I, I did end up getting you know level two Reiki training so that I can work on people remotely mm -hmm. as well. Um, it's not something that I you know have a practitioner doing just Reiki for hours and hours at a time, but I do bring it into the work I'm doing with uh, women leaders because sometimes you know I can I can feel it and I can hear it. Um, yeah. when we tap in yeah there is an energy block here or there is an energy block in another part of the body um, and that's what's um, uh, indicating for them what choices they should make and yeah. sometimes those choices are staying small and sometimes you know it is a block and once we can free that up it's amazing what happens so, so you have um uh taking your work to a bigger stage now so um so, so the summit, um, reimagine embodied leadership. Just talk um, about that a little bit, and then we um, we have a free gift. Actually, a couple of free gifts coming up. So, listeners, stay tuned. I know that you're getting so much already out mm -hmm. of these conversations and what Phoebe has been sharing today. But just talk a little bit about the the purpose for putting on the summit and what you're hoping people will take away from that. Yeah, thank you. 
So I think I touched in a little bit about the why earlier, and I'll just revisit that was I was seeing all of these shifts in the, these paradigm shifts, especially right after the pandemic. And as we're all, you know, going back to quote unquote normal the last year or so realizing that that old life isn't here anymore and people reacting in that way. So I said, I want to bring together voices, powerful voices of embodied leaders. And when I speak into that, it's not necessarily just people who are doing what I'm doing and talking about the body, but are really walking their talk. And I am very fortunate enough to be in a lot of different worlds. As I shared with you, I'm more in the spiritual healing worlds primarily, but I'm also have my foot in the art still. Um, I still dance and perform at times. And I work with a lot of artists like painting and musician, painters and musicians and poets. But then I also have this military um, foot in the door and I've worked in corporate, bringing yoga to corporate settings. So I, I straddle all these different worlds. And I thought, what if we brought these embodied leaders together, share these conversations and see that there is a thread through all of it? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times we get in our own little um, you know, silo and we think, and we talk to all the same people and we're kind of just sitting and ruminating in the same issues and we don't quite get outside of it, outside of it. We can't get out of our own way. So what if we had many different voices from many different diverse backgrounds sharing a similar message threaded throughout this summit and really see how everything is connected Beautiful. and how for any of this to change, we have to first start here and take radical responsibility for ourselves, not as a place from shame or guilt or that moral injury, but really say, okay, this is my journey. I own it. Now, what am I going to do about it? And right. so this, this container is really a space for people to lean into, to hear other people's stories, just like this podcast to relate and say, okay, I'm not alone. And a lot of things that I've been hearing already is like, as you were speaking, I thought you were speaking directly to me. That gives me chills every time I get to hear that from somebody. Like, yes, we are speaking to you. We're speaking deep, deep to your soul. So, and then I offer actual practices in the live sessions where I take people deeper into this experience. And I, what you were speaking about your mom, about the unmentor, I, I led people through a, a practice of this contrast. I used the word contrast of a mentor of like, what do you not want to be? Because these are just important teachers. I mean, mm -hmm. she shaped you and really helps you create your path. Mm -hmm. And so we have to honor, we have to honor the teachers and the mentors that maybe didn't do, you know, quote unquote, the best job because they really shaped us on who we want to become. And so we do a practice, a journaling practice, a meditation to kind of witness that and let that person speak through us, through spirit and, and have some resolution there. So we don't continue to carry on that shame and grief right. and anger, whatever it might be. Yeah. So that was my why that is what we're doing. And I really do believe, I mean, I know this will be filming after it's released, but we are gifting it to your listeners because I do feel so powerfully that it's this container that people are in right now, but it's going to be beyond that. It, I want this to be a ripple effect. I want these conversations to continue on beyond the week summit. Okay. So yeah. where, where will the best place be for people to go to be able to access that, um, that uh, I guess it would be kind of like a VIP opportunity yeah. shared you know th through um our conversation 
Where do they go to get access to it? Will there be a link that you can provide me with that I can put in the show notes or is there somewhere to go now? Yeah, I mean, I would say we will have a special link for your listeners, but I will say you can go to the nomadcollective.org just in general that will have everything there. There will be a VIP for the summit. There will be a link there, but we're going to give a special link for your listeners and they can go in the show notes. Great. Okay. So with that said, um, we've talked a little bit about um, the opportunities for gifts. Um, I also have a a gift for my listeners. So when we talked earlier about different personality styles and different things that people can do, obviously, as you're listening to Phoebe talk, you can tell she is a very caring soul. She's deeply um, aware of her own energies as a a master yoga instructor. Um, She's also looking at life through the lens and you can hear it so clearly of being um very nurturing and so i want to i want to honor and respect that um and just share that if you're intrigued to find out a little bit more about your own personality and your own tendency and personality codes you can actually do that through going to my website uh, yvonnesilva.com and um i'll put the link in the show notes as well um i don't I don't recall which page it's on now, but it'll be an opportunity to, to, to crack your personality code, to discover more about your preferred communication style. And when we show up and can um, ask for what we want clearly in the way that it will land for us, that's powerful. It's even more powerful when you know the personality codes of your family and your, your close work colleagues so that when they're asking for information, we can be respectful and we can give it to them in the fashion that they wanted. Some people want just the, just the details, just the highlights, high energy action oriented people, um, our more oriented um, traditional blueprint style personalities want the, you know, the, the, the facts and they want the, the risk minimized, they want the steps in the process. Our knowledge personalities want the data and the science, like prove the evidence, give me, give me proof. Um, and then nurturers want to know what the difference is that we can make the impact, the personal growth opportunity, and what difference it's going to make out in the community. So a powerful conversation with a couple of complimentary gifts for the listeners. Now, I hope that you've enjoyed listening today to the Words, Women and Wisdom radio show. I hope you'll join me again uh, next time for another important message to share. And I think what I'm um, you know, one of the big takeaways that I'm hearing through um, all of what you've shared today, Phoebe, is the importance of really coming home to ourselves mm-hmm. and taking the time to invest in doing the deeper work, both in time, energy, you know, find a mentor, find a coach, find a, a, a teacher that is going to help you through their own experiences of the fastest way to get from A to B all the way that's going to be the deepest, touching, impactful, emotionally charged experience that will help you to become an embodied leader. That's really what it's all about, is um, embodied leadership. And with the work that Phoebe is doing currently, it's all about reimagining that and sharing the insights from embodied leaders. So thank you for sharing what you're up to today. Thank you for bringing your wisdom and also just your gentle your gentle spirit of 
looking at this lens of life as it's not about forcing and making things happen. Mm -hmm. It's about being in tune and listening for the clues and acknowledging, oh, I feel that in my body. That is the right decision. When I shared in December with my husband, I think we need to do things differently. Everything just lined up so smoothly for our house to get sold exactly at the time that the mortgage was coming up for renewal. And it was just like this well-orchestrated, well-oiled thing that I could not have, I could not have orchestrated it. Um, on the last day that we were there, we had a Bowflex downstairs in our basement and the carpet cleaners were coming the next day. And I said to my husband, we did, we need to, you know, we've had it on Facebook marketplace. It's not sold. We just need to get it out because the carpet cleaners are coming tomorrow. Um, and one of the nuts was not, um, we couldn't, it was stripped, couldn't get it undone. So I thought, who do I know who has tools? Oh, two doors down, our aircraft mechanic friend. And so I called, he said, yeah, he'd come over. And as he and my hubby were undoing the equipment and John, my husband was telling him, yeah, we're just going to put it for like 50 bucks on, you know, we, we had it for you know, 300 and it hasn't sold. We just need to move it. And he ended up buying it like on the spot, whipped out $50 <laughs> out of his pocket and just bought it, came, got it, shipped it away. Within 30 minutes, it was gone. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. How perfect is that? It was like, thank you, universe. Yeah. Can I share really quick uh, a quote that has become my new mantra recently? It's a Nietzsche, a Nietzsche quote, and it is, uh, life is not a problem to solve, but a mystery to live. Ooh. <laughs> Goosebumps just hearing that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. All right, listeners, we will reconnect in a couple more weeks with another beautiful story of um, a lady who is bringing forward something powerful to the world that's typically born out of her own uh, tragedy. So rising from tragedy to triumph. That's what the Words Woman and Wisdom Radio Show is all about. And if you need personal help on moving forwards, feel free to reach out and connect with me, ebonsilver.com. Track me down on LinkedIn or Facebook. And if you're interested to connect again with Phoebe, you can also find her and her work on phoebeleona.com as well as nomadcollective.org. Thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you, Phoebe.